You're listening to the Crossing DE podcast from The Crossing in Milton, Delaware, a community dedicated to developing devoted followers of Jesus. You are chosen people. Isn't that good news? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession in Christ, yeah? Oh, that's good news. And and yesterday, many of you kind of showed that off. What an amazing day yesterday was of connection and and, and being out in our community. Uh, We hosted our our church-wide yard sale yesterday, which really was three days in the making on top of all the collecting you have done of your treasures that you offered for us. Yesterday was so great. It was so hot. I mean, it was, it, was, it was just a great day. It was really just a great picture of the church being the church, right? I mean, people of all ages, teenagers serving alongside of, of senior saints, <laughs> interns being awesome. Basically, you guys just doing what you do. I'm so thankful to be a part of our church family. And yesterday, with all of your your treasures flying out the door, we were able to collect just under $8,000. Yeah. And all that money goes to kids and families in our community that just might need a little help. And so we're so excited. So thank you, Lord. Thank you, church. Hey, we're quickly uh, coming to the end of this journey we've been on through The Chosen. Uh, If you've been following along with us, we've been watching uh, the episodes of the TV series The Chosen and then preaching kind of right alongside them uh, since February. I really think it's it's the longest sermon series we've ever preached here at The Crossing. It's been a great one. It's been really powerful. And if you ever miss a Sunday or you want to go back, you can always do that online. Uh, We also have podcasts where where you can just get the sermon part of things. You're going for a run, you're driving to work, you're you're vacuuming, or you just want to uh, catch up, listen. Uh, We have a church app where you can engage with us and what's going on. We just want to make sure you're you're able to be connected as much as you'd like to be. Here at The Crossing, we we have a mission. We We say it this way, developing devoted followers of Jesus who will develop devoted followers of Jesus. That's what we do around here. That's that's the mission. And what I want us to understand today and really grab hold of is this. We will never be successful with this mission if we don't nail down first who Jesus is. You and I personally and all of us collectively as a church, if we're divided on who Jesus is, the mission fails. Now that might sound a little strange, right? Because you're here. But man, oh man, are there tons of different opinions about who Jesus really is. I don't even have a clip from this episode because I would just have to show you the entire episode for you to really grab hold of what kind of unfolded. It's season two, episode seven, really ramping up to Jesus's sermon on the mount. And what was so obvious throughout was, was the multitude of attitudes and approaches to Jesus. So many different opinions. The the episode's titled Reckoning, which is really a perfect title. The word reckoning means coming to a conclusion about something. Weighing the evidence and and, and kind of thinking through and coming to a decision or firming up your opinion about something. And all throughout uh, the episode, there are a variety of reckonings as to how people think about Jesus. You've got the Pharisees who are going around interviewing people because they they are looking for a reason to arrest and kill Jesus. 
You've got the Romans who are, they're intrigued, but they're a little concerned, right? They're, they're feeling a little threatened. Jesus is stirring things up, and it's kind of like, okay, stop what you're doing, because, you know, we don't want to get involved. And then the people, you know the people, right? We're the people. We're fickle. Like, we're amazed at one point, and then we're, you know, we're, <laughs> we're skeptical, we're believing, then we're questioning, but the whole way through, we're self-seeking. And then the disciples, they just go through this roller coaster ride of emotions, where they're really excited about the impending sermon and then some difficulty happens and they kind of are worried and they shut down and then they're angry and they turn on each other and then by the end they're humbled and back to following and so many different opinions. Is Jesus a blaspheming heretic? Is he leading a rebellion? Is he a prophet? Is he the Messiah? Is he just crazy? So many misunderstandings, so much confusion, so many questions, so much division. And it's a really clear representation of what we see in the gospel accounts in the Bible. This is real. People are divided. And, and don't get too hard on the people. You, when you're reading your Bible, they didn't have the Bible to go on. They couldn't just look up what the answers were. This was all unfolding in real time in their lives. So the confusion's a little bit understandable. The real issue is for us today. Because we do have the Bible. We have more access to the Bible here in this place than we've ever had. We can find the answers, and we do know the end of the story, and yet we still sometimes fall back into confusion and division. And when we get confused and, and start, division's right behind that, right? It, it happens, and even when Jesus walked on earth. So, so I want us to look a little bit more closely at this. There's a passage in the Bible in John chapter 7, where this confusion and division are evident, and I want us to kind of see it, walk through it, unpack it a little bit together, and then kind of get a little help so we don't fall into confusion and division about Jesus, okay? That's the map. That's the plan. You good with that? Good, because it doesn't really matter if you're good with it, because that's what we're doing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right, remember, context before content, whenever you engage with the Bible. So over John chapter 7, it's six months before the cross. Everyone's celebrating the festival of tabernacles. It's one of the three great festivals, uh, a feast that the Jewish people would celebrate every year. And so Jerusalem is packed with people, tens if not hundreds of thousands of people. The Jewish people are there coming to remember their ancestors wandering through the desert for 40 years. And while they were doing that, they stayed in tents or tabernacles as they went. And as we've already said, there was a lot of division, a lot of differing opinions about Jesus. But even in the verses leading up to our main text, it's very obvious. There's division. Chapter 7, verse 1 tells us that, uh, that the Jewish leaders were looking for a, a way to kill Jesus. Verse 5 tells us his own family didn't believe in him. Verse 7 says that the world, all the other people hated him. You jump back one chapter to John chapter 6, verse 66. It's following a really hard teaching, and it says that uh, many of his disciples abandoned him and stopped following Jesus. Division. Lots of rejection. And let's not puff ourselves up and point fingers, oh, we would never do that. Truth is, we've probably been there a time or two. So let's be honest and open about this. It's, it's easy to follow Jesus when it's easy, right? When it's convenient and comfortable, when it doesn't interfere with our lives very much. We, we just keep Jesus at, at a distance, at arm's length. We don't really let him in. When we just keep things surface level, it's easy. 
But Jesus doesn't do surface level for very long. And so the truth comes out, and the truth can be hard at times. It confronts us. It sometimes is inconvenient and uncomfortable. The truth, it's intrusive. It's deeper than the surface. And if you hold on to it, it'll set you free. So here we are back in Jerusalem, big festival, tons of people. I want you to watch what happens when Jesus enters town. He didn't come right at the beginning because well, people are trying to kill him. So he kind of sneaks in the back door. And when he gets there, he goes straight to the temple to start teaching. And so he's, he's preaching. He's giving it to him. And his words are confronting those people who are listening. And we're going to pick things up in verse 25 of John chapter 7. John writes, at this point, some of the people in Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the guy they're trying to kill? And here he is speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he's the Messiah? The confusion is still pretty evident. Uh, we thought the leaders were going to kill him, and now they think he's the one. And they're asking questions, and that's usually a good thing, but they're coming from a place of, of misconception, of confusion. The leaders, we, we don't know really, we can't, it's hard to follow. The leaders, they want to kill him because he's preaching false things, but then they don't want to kill him because they think he's the Messiah, like... If you've, ever seen, if you've ever seen Timon and Lion King, right? He's like, what's going on here? Right? That's the way I view, that's where I read the Bible. I'm sorry. <laughs> and so they're, they're unsure. And so here's where it happens. Verse 27, they continue, but we know where he's from. We know where this man's from. And when, when the Messiah comes, no one's going to know where he's from. You see, the leaders are confused. And so I'm not sure we can trust them. So we've got to fall back on our own understandings, our own observations and thoughts. Well, we know where he's from because him and his brothers used to come and break bread with us, so he can't be the Messiah because when the Messiah comes, no one's going to know where he's from, which isn't accurate, but that's what they thought. That's what they knew. Those were their own conclusions. And so in verse 28, Jesus responds. And you can kind of sense a bit of frustration in his voice. By this point, John chapter 7, Jesus has been with these people, among these people, for nearly three years. And so he's in the middle of teaching in the temple courts. He cries out, yeah, you know me and you know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own authority. But he who sent me is true. You don't know him, but I know him because I'm from him and he sent me. Yeah, you, you might know my family, but you don't really know who I am. You've never taken the time to really pay attention to what I say. So you don't know my father. I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission, and you don't even know about that. I've told you about it, but you never listened to me. Why are you so confused? Why are you so closed-minded about this? And the people don't like being called out in front of everyone else who does, and so their response, they're not trying to seek understanding. Instead, instead it's a little more violent. Verse 30, at this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still, many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this guy? And so they're divided, right? Some believed in him. Some wanted to snatch him up. Some of them believed. What did they, why did they believe? It seems as though they believed just because of the signs and the wonders they had seen. Well, the signs, the, the, signs, the miracles, they, they're... they're they certainly serve to prove his godness and his power and, and to prove, uh, you know, fulfill the things that the Old Testament has said about the anointed one, but they weren't meant to, to be the sole reason that we put our trust in him. They're a great starting point. 
And so all these conversations are happening, and, and they're, they're spreading throughout Jerusalem. And before long, the, the Pharisees catch wind, and they aren't happy. Remember, they're trying to kill Jesus. And so verse 32 says, The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Can't you just hear that conversation? Oh, he's here. He snuck in. Let's, let's just get rid of him. I don't want to think about what he's saying. I don't want to have to figure out whether or not what he's saying is true. Let's just, let's just squash it. Let's just get him out of here and shut him up. Listen to verse 33. Jesus said, I'm only with you for a short time, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the one who sent me. You'll look for me, but you won't find me, and where I am, you can't come. And there's a sense of I don't know, I read that with a sense of sadness or disappointment in his tone, kind of like, hey, you know what? You're not going to have to deal with me too much longer. But what he said is true. There's going to come a time where you wish I was here, where you wish you could listen to me and come to me, where you want comfort, you want someone that can lead you, you want deliverance from all the things going on, and when that happens, I'm going to be unavailable. Of course, this just stirs up more confusion it's kind of like those moments in, in the movies where something is happening and everybody's leaning in and listening and then there's this dramatic pause and then there's like, ah, what's this guy talking about? <laughs> Look at verse 35. The Jews said to one another, where does this guy intend to go that we can't find him? Will he go where our people are scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean that, that we can't, you'll look for me but you won't find me and where I am you cannot come? They didn't seem to have the ears to hear that Jesus so often speaks about. But he doesn't give up. Instead, he teaches them. He's not put aside by the division and the confusion. He deals them an offer of hope. If you look in verse 37, it's on the last and greatest day of the festival. Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up until this point, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. You see, Jesus just never just chalks things up and, and walks away, because he's not driven by other people's reactions. He's on mission, right, from the Father. He's here to seek and to save the lost. He's the only way. And even if nobody else understands that, he does. And so he invites people, come to me, and I'll give you life, and I'll give you the Spirit. In John chapter 7, verse 40, we see how Jesus divides people, call it confusion, misunderstanding, just flat-out stubbornness, whatever you call it. This is what happens when people are confronted by Jesus Christ. Verse 40 on hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man's a prophet. Others said, he's the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Doesn't the scripture say that, that the Messiah is going to come from David's descendants and, and, and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Verse 43, thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. And all of this we've said so far, it all comes down, it's all building to verse 43. The people we're divided because of Jesus. And friends, that's the same today. And people are divided about Jesus. 
Not too long ago, uh, the Barna Group did a study. The Barna Group does a kind of st- statistical analysis on uh, the state of Christianity in America. And they found that 92% of Americans believe Jesus was a real person. 56% of them believe he's God, while 52% believe he was a human being who sinned like everybody else. 26% believe he was a great, just a great religious teacher. 63% of believing adults believe Jesus is the only way to heaven, while only 46% of the younger generations believe that. Thus, the people are divided because of Jesus. So very common in Jesus' day and in our day too, division about who Jesus really is. And when we're divided about something and it goes unaddressed, it leads to frustration, it leads to confusion. We, we drift off our mission and we can't develop devoted followers of Jesus who would develop devoted followers of Jesus, not until this is settled in our own hearts and minds. And so to get a little help today, Let's go to another scene uh, where, where Jesus is addressing his, this same division. You can imagine it this way. He's kind of sitting around a fire. This is the way I imagine he's sitting around a fire with his boys, with his disciples, and they're just having a conversation, and it's one of the most important conversations. It's intimate. It's not public. It's just them. And this conversation is so important because, in my opinion, it contains the single most important question ever asked in all of human history. You might be like, whoa, preacher, like, okay, that's exaggerating. But it's really not. Go with me to Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Matthew says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do people say the Son of Man is? Right, you see them, they're all sitting around and they're having a conversation. Hey, what are the people saying about me? And one guy over here is like, oh, some say John the Baptist. Well, I heard Elijah. I heard Jeremiah. Some are saying they're one of the pro- you're one of the prophets, right? The people. It's who the people are saying. Hey, at least they think you're a godly fellow. These are pretty good guys to be like. And then here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's the single most important question for you and I to ever answer and settle. Verse 15, Jesus asks, what about you? Who do you say that I am? I mean, it's a great segue, right? He set them up perfectly. Okay, the people are divided. That's not unusual. But I wanted you to think about them so that we could really get to the heart of things because this is what really matters. What about you? Who do each one of you say that I am? Because you're my disciples. You're my people. You're my friends. You're the ones I'm going to leave and entrust my mission to. You're the ones who have to have the right answer. We're the ones who have to have the right answer. Is Jesus just some blaspheming heretic? Is he a legend, some mythical figure that somebody wrote a best-selling book about? Is he, is he one of the many prophets from the past? Is he a great teacher or just a leader? Is he a human that sinned like everybody else? Is he just some lunatic and he's out of his mind? And so Peter steps up and answers. Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. No surprise Peter speaks up, right? I mean, that's what he does. But this time he got it perfectly right. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? You're the Messiah. Jesus, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. 
And I love what Jesus says next. Don't miss this. This is as much for us as it is for Peter. Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And again, back to the scene around the, the campfire. You know, I just picture Peter. I don't know why. Peter's like sitting back, his legs up, right? He's back on the back two legs of his chair. He's got a straw sticking out of his mouth, maybe a cowboy hat on. Sorry, it's just it's how I read. I don't know. But in that moment, right, he hears this discussion happening. Who do people, what are people saying about me? And he's just like, oh, it's Elijah, John the Baptist. But what about you? And it's like God just zaps Peter and he tilts forward. He said, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Like God didn't want anyone else to have time to give the wrong answer. And so Peter declares the right answer so that we have it and have it forever and we can get it right. And that's the answer. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's the one that clears everything. All the confusion's cleared up. That's the one that crushes all the misunderstandings. That's the one that unites us as one chosen people. We've got to get that. We've got to know it and believe it and trust it and repeat it and confess it. Listen, so many people who were physically with Jesus, right? In person, they watched him live and perform miracles, and they listened to him teach and preach, and, and they were eyewitnesses of, of him fulfilling all the things, all the prophecies about the Messiah, and they were still confused and divided. Turns out Jesus is divisive. Not everyone's going to get it. That's why Jesus so often said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Jesus knew not everyone would get it, and you and I have got to get it before we can help anyone else get it. That's pretty clear. It's easy to be confused. So how do we avoid that confusion? How do you and I avoid, how can the crossing as a church avoid, keep ourselves from being divided about Jesus? And the answer is what we see in Peter, it's confess. Make this our daily confession we wake up with a confession, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. It has to be your confession, not somebody else's, not the church I go to, my confession. In the middle of the storm, when things are hard and, and storms are waging against your life, Jesus, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I'm standing on that. When confusion hits and questions come and doubts creep in, Jesus, before I seek any other answers, before I even seek to understand, I confess, I declare, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. When the sun's shining in your life and things are easy, you're coasting, you're running with Jesus like it's all good. Jesus, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and I'm with you. When you're reading something and it's hard to live that out, ah, well, it's your word, and you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. When the doctor says something you don't like, hey, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I trust you. When the preacher says something you don't like, hey, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. I'm following you. Church, it's why we do the Lord's Supper every Sunday. It's why we forgive. It's why we repent. It's why we read our Bibles, because Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You and I obey right away, all the way, right? Because Jesus is the Messiah the son of the living God. We don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world because we're with Jesus, the Messiah, the son of the living God. We sing to Jesus. We sing about Jesus. We preach Jesus. We, we, teach, we point our kids and our grandkids and everybody to Jesus because he's the Messiah, the son of the living God. Because that's true, we're united. 
we stay on mission. We're joyful. We're steadfast. Because Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, we're his. There's this really neat part of the episode uh, where the, in The Chosen where the disciples are really upset. They're stirred up. And some things didn't go the way they thought they were. They're overcome a bit by worry and, and confusion. And, and they, like, like real people, they start pointing fingers. Where can we place the blame? Somebody's, to ca- somebody's the cause of this happening. What, wh- who, can we, who can we blame? It's not a pretty scene. And one of the guys turns to Mary... And he confronts her about leaving and running away, falling back into her old ways, which is a very real thing if you've not experienced that. And her response is both beautifully honest and serves as a warning for us. She says, I made a mistake leaving camp. I relied on my own understanding, my own observation too heavily. Church, that's when confusion settles in when we rely on or when we lean on our own understanding, division is not far behind. We're a church committed to developing devoted followers of Jesus who will develop devoted followers of Jesus, and we're committed to that because we believe and we know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and may that always be our constant confession. Amen? Would you pray with me? God, you're so good. I thank you for, I just thank you for how real and and alive your word is. It speaks so powerfully into into our lives off the pages. It's so real. Confused, divided. I have questions. I don't understand. I don't know. And I thank you for, for zapping Peter that day to show us the right answer. God, there's so much division and so many opinions. May we personally and may we as a church never stray from the good confession that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And may we always live out of that truth. Even when it's hard, when it's confusing, when we don't understand, may we always stand firm on that confession. Lord, we love you. You've done everything to prove to us who you are, and you've given us faith. You've drawn us close. May we hold on and walk with you forever, confessing Jesus as Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to subscribe. For more information about The Crossing, visit thecrossingde.com or download the mobile app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. Music for today's podcast is from artist Sounds Like Sander, under license from soundstripe.com.